the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. My turn again already? Gee whiz, time flies when you're having fun, and here I am to ruin it all. No, 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 we won't. (laughs) We promise not to ruin any of your fun today, and I hope you're having a a good day and a good week so far. Craig Roberts with you, as always, on this uh, Tuesday, just five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. We've got a very informative and important show for you tonight. I want to first begin by, again, thanking all of our KFAX listeners who have stood with Bay Area Rescue Mission as we are working with them and partnering again this year to provide meals for needy and homeless individuals and families. Hey, it's not too late for you to be a part of the miracle. We want to provide some 1,000 boxes of hope that are filled with warm, nutritious meals that will be uh, essentially providing each individual family about 30 meals that they can come and pick up that box and enjoy a Christmas meal at home for themselves. So if you want to get in on this, it's um, $60, the matching grant, which provides um, sufficient meals for two full families. And again, average family of five or six can, you know, wind up getting about uh, 20, I'm sorry, about 30 meals uh, out of each box. So um, go online to kfax.com, click on the Bay Area Rescue Mission banner to give your gift. That's at kfax.com. Don't forget the matching grant doubles every dollar that you give. So each meal is just a dollar with the matching grant. And uh, as we endeavor to try to provide some 1,000 Christmas boxes of hope to needy families, love to hear from you. Go online, give that gift securely anytime at kfax.com. Well, You know, it used to be that education was ultimately about the end product. That meant results of the kids. How well educated were they? How well prepared were they for not only future educational endeavors as they move on to two- and four-year colleges and universities, but how well prepared are they for life? Sadly, more and more, it seems as if the kids and that end product seems to be taking a further and further and further backseat. Witness, for example... The fact that the uh, newer president of one of the largest unions in the country, not just teachers unions, one of the largest unions in the country, seems to be not so much focused on well-being of their members, right? Union? Think they're worried about teachers? Yeah, but they seem to be dabbling deeper and deeper into the outcome end of things, and the end result may not be so good. Carol LaBelle joins us. Carol is president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. She's also a political analyst and an attorney. She's author of one of the more recent books called Prude, How the Sex-Obsessed Culture Damages Girls. And, Carol, good to have you back with us. Well, thank you. Wonderful to be with you. You know, it's it's amazing. The, the number of layers 
that compete for influence on education in this country. One would almost think that we would have some of the best outcomes of any nation on the planet, but maybe that's part of the problem. There's just too many people that have their fingers in the pie, and sadly, in the end, on an increasing basis, it seems as if, at least in some circumstances, the kids are being pushed further and further back on the priority agenda. Uh, yeah, it's really unfortunate. And what we've seen increasingly is that the the people who should be uh, the most centrally involved, that is children and parents, are being uh, sidelined and uh, overlooked. And, uh, and, you know, unions and administrators and government are running the show more and more. And that's the last thing we should be wanting to see happen. Yeah, and uh, there, there's new news now that the uh, the head of one of these major unions, the uh, the NEA, which, by the way, combined with the, the American Teachers Association, uh, people will be shocked to find out. You think about large unions, you'd think, well, maybe the Longshoremen's Union, truck drivers, somebody at that level. Oh, no, no. It's, in fact, the educational unions. And by the time you're done with their influence, and then, of course, you've got the federal level of the Department of Education, then the state level of the Department of Education, then local school boards, and then local teachers. By the time you get done, parents are not left with much input, are they? No. And what what increasingly uh, we have and where a lot of the education money is going is to all these layers of bureaucracy. And, you know, we all wonder if we're paying all this tax money, property tax money to education, why is it that we see uh, shortfalls when it comes to books and when it comes, you know, those who feel that teachers are not being compensated adequately and that students need more to get what they need? And it's because uh, increasingly the unions see to it that there are layers of bureaucracy and administration um, and all these assistant deans and, you know, different people who are not necessarily central to the mission of educating children and you know then there's the whole question of what exactly are children being taught and are they learning yeah exactly so and and this most recent foray into involvement uh you know it's uh, i guess at the end of the day it's really up to the teachers to tell their union hey concentrate more on worrying about you know collective bargaining and things of that sort and uh, pay less attention to, uh, you know, uh, meddling with all these other things. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case. No. um, You know, it is interesting because I think if a lot of teachers were consulted on the individual level, they wouldn't necessarily share a lot of the political priorities that their uh, union leaders uh, seem to be uh, really pursuing and seem to be pursuing to the detriment of, everyone involved besides the union leaders yeah Um, that's it's 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 pretty it's pretty disquieting in the end of the day isn't it it really is and if if we all assume that you know most teachers really went into their profession because they care about children and they care about seeing children well educated and well equipped for lives of meaning and purpose you know surely they have to be extremely unhappy with what's going on and uh, with the fact that increasingly we see children who are not um, getting the educations they need as and, and parents realizing this as well because we are seeing more and more parents taking their children out of public schools. 
And I've got to wonder, I mean, at the end of the day, with so many stakeholders, quote unquote, in all of this, doesn't this create an atmosphere where it almost becomes impossible, uh, ultimately, Carol, to, to, to come up with, with guidelines and standards for a quality education when everybody's got their hand raised and everybody wants to make sure their opinion, their viewpoint is recognized, largely all to the detriment of, in the end, the people where it ought to count the most, and that is with the students, the parents, and the teachers? Well, this is why, uh, in my view, education is best handled on the local level, where parents have the greatest proportionate say, and really why we should be looking at a system where we're funding children, not systems, not school systems. And, um, and you know, too many teachers' unions have tried to convince teachers and, you know, others that there is some entitlement that the public school system has to everyone's money. The purpose of, of you know, our education system isn't to fund schools and administrators and even teachers. The purpose of the education system is to educate children. And what we should be looking for is the most effective way to realize that goal. And if the most effective way to achieve that goal is through funding children through some other more effective system that allows parents to exercise control in figuring out how and where and by whom their children are educated, then that's the sort of system we should be looking into and investing in rather than simply continuing to throw money after good money after bad into a sclerotic, too often corrupt, ineffective system that simply funnels too many children, especially our most disadvantaged children, through a system that teaches nothing, engages in social promotion, and simply passes them through um, where they will not be equipped to lead lives of dignity and purpose. And, and what should be raising eyebrows here, and I want to kind of couch this in other terms that might be easier for listeners to uh, to wrap their, their minds around. I, I mentioned earlier Teamsters, Longshoremen. Now imagine if the Teamsters Union, in addition to looking out for their members in terms of, you know, wage hour, safety standards, uh, vacation time, uh, all that goes into labor negotiations. Instead of that, if the Teamsters Union started uh, deciding what kind of cargo uh, their drivers should be transporting, what the price of that cargo should be, where it should start, where it should wind up, who the end consumer ought to be, anybody would say, hey, wait a minute, what, what has this got to do with the price of delivering eggs? Absolutely right. nothing. You worry about the guy in the driver's seat and the end user will will worry about you know the, the 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 vendor and the consumer will worry about everything in between and yet that's the kind of scenario that we've painted here with with the influence that we're seeing by these unions and it's 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 getting bigger and bigger every year right the unions are supposed to be worried about the terms and conditions of employment they're not supposed to be worrying about the substance of the pedagogy yeah, and I don't know about you, but I, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't want that kind of influence. As I said before, there's just too many people that are trying to put a put a stake in the ground here and claim that they, they've got some say-so over what ought to be going into the curricula. And uh, sadly, as this continues, yeah, the end results are showing just how dangerous all of this can be. 
Carol Ebell, thank you so much for the insights. Carol, president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. 516 from KFAX. This report is sponsored by Fast. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, the um, Biden Supreme Court Commission report is finally out. And um, to say it landed with a thud (laughs) might be almost too kind. Uh, This, of course, was an attempt by the president to try and get together a group of people that would create arguments, purportedly, for court packing. The notion certainly not new to Biden. It was tried once before with equal dismal political failure by um, FDR. Didn't like the way the court was doing things, so let's just add to the court and get more of my people on the court so they'll vote in my direction. Not exactly in keeping with the spirit of checks and balances envisioned by the Founding Fathers. Let's find out what all it means. We're joined now by the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in the country, syndicated nationally, The Bob Zadek Show, heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay region each Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Bob is a CPA, a lawyer, and one of the foremost experts on the Constitution I know of today. And as always, an honor and privilege, Bob, to have you join us. Thank you for having me, Craig. It's a privilege to be a guest on your show. So as I mentioned, uh, it, it seemed, at least to me, that when it was announced that the president was going to be assembling this commission to investigate the probability, the possibility, the viability of adding additional members to the high court, it was almost an attempt to find cover, meaning we knew what he wanted to do and why he wanted to do it. He was just trying to find somebody else to go along with the program, but it seems to be about as well received as the last time that this was attempted uh, back in 1934, 35, 36 by then-President FDR. Well, it's kind of complicated. The FDR was revolutionizing, changing dramatically the checks and balances which served our country so well for the uh, period of time from the founding until 1933, uh, the beginning of his, uh, of his term. Uh, and he, he, and he, he was going to attempt to do something, FDR was, that was based upon Everything we understood about the checks and balances, he was going to change that system and and give the federal government more power than the founders intended and that anybody imagined possible. And the Supreme Court found much of his activity, most of his goals, to be unconstitutional. Well, to him, they were just out of step, and they were interfering with what he wanted to do. Putting aside the fact that what he wanted to do was up to then unconstitutional. And he then had this overwhelming uh, voting mandate, uh, and he had a lot of power that came from the mandate which the voters gave him. So the Supreme Court was in his way, uh, and he... Uh, put pressure on the Supreme Court ultimately by threatening what has come to be called Supreme Court packing, which is having Congress, who would do whatever he wanted, he had a, he had a profound majority, a veto-proof,
Kafoof majority, and he wanted, he was going to have Congress increase the number of justices from nine to, let's say, 15. He was then going to appoint his buddies who would support his program to the Supreme Court, and in effect, have the Supreme Court simply ratify what he wanted to do. And the Supreme Court, which saw the danger of that, and the last thing they wanted was to have the Supreme Court become another political branch. They were not. They were a court, and they were a co-equal branch of government. They changed their mind, and it was called the switch in time that saved nine, the nine existing justices. And they basically rubber-stamped all that he did. So his threat worked. Whether he would have actually done it, it was supremely unpopular, we'll never know, but the threat was sufficient. And he got his way. Flash fast forward to the present time, the progressives, um, as a result of what happened in the Senate, Mitch McConnell's navigating the political operation of the Senate, he was able to engineer, some will say, by compromising the way government is supposed to work. Others say he did exactly what he had the power to do. That issue is for another show. But as a result of which, we have what is perceived to be uh, six conservative justices or five conservative justices, depending upon how you count, which means a 5-4 conservative Supreme Court, which infuriates once again the progressives. So since they have both houses of Congress and the presidency, all that stands in their way of radically again changing our form of government, no, that is not overly dramatic, that is what could happen, uh, the progressives say we got to fix the Supreme Court and get progressives in there. And so Biden made a promise to the progressives, apparently, that he would fix the Supreme Court and support, that is not veto, any legislation that was going to, again, pack the court to readjust the voting majority. And Biden said, as a promise to the progressives during the 2020 election, I'm on it. I'll take care of it. And to meet that promise, he then appointed a independent, and they were independent, commission to look into the reorganizing the federal court system. And Biden said, I'll do what they say. And they met, and they were... They had a preliminary report and recently a final report where they basically concluded they, that court packing, this is reading between the lines, they were unenthusiastic about court packing, increasing the number of justices, did not recommend it, didn't 100% dismiss it, but did not recommend it. But they suggested other changes, which we may discuss on the show if we have time, such as adding term limits to federal judiciary. Right now, the federal judiciary serves for uh, 
for life. They have life tenure, so they are politically independent. They can't be voted out but for um, misbehavior. So they preserve the independence of the Supreme Court, uh, but they suggested things like an 18-year term, which there's kind of um, strong support for adding term limits uh, to justices and other things like that. But most importantly, to the intro to your show, they, they were not enthusiastic at all about court backing. So, and neither, by the way, is Biden, who is very traditional. Biden never embraced court backing anyway. So where we stand right now is Biden gets his political cover. He made a promise to appoint the commission, which he did. The commission didn't recommend court backing, so he's not going to do it. He doesn't have to do something now that he didn't ever wanted to do anyway. So now we have a reasonably balanced report on the on the commission to re-examine federal courts, including the Supreme Court. Uh, now it'll be discussed and forgotten about, or discussed and acted upon. But the issue of court backing, per se, thank heaven, is now behind us. Bear in mind, it's quite interesting. We have had nine justices on the Supreme Court since uh, after the Civil War. Before the Civil War, we at one time had four justices, and five, then six, then I think eight, and nine, and eight, and nine. So nine is not the world's most magic number, and it's not in the Constitution. But it has been nine for a long time. And any attempt to change it, if it's motivated by crass politics, uh, it will probably... Uh, be a lack of support. So that's where we are up to the minute. It is still possible. It's unlikely it would be done if Biden would threaten to veto it. They wouldn't want that. So that's where we are as to court packing as to the minute. And I would say court packing would be a disaster. It would be a disaster because, excuse me, it would make the Supreme Court now a political rather than independent branch operating very much like a super legislature except unelected it would change the country profoundly and permanently and it would be uh, it would be a shame we would lose a lot of what makes our system of government work. Well, and almost in my mind, create a scenario where all of a sudden the court now, instead of being a equal and independent third branch that helps create that balance, that system of checks and balances, and suddenly now uh, become a tool of the presidency with the fear that any time a court doesn't vote in the way in which a president wants, that they have to live with sort of the knife hanging over their head, that the president would just come in and, and make more changes. And, you know, certainly perhaps it may ultimately, we can get into this after the break, may ultimately require a constitutional amendment to make some changes, but you know, there had been floated the idea of just being able to kind of do it via statute. So if you can get enough people in Congress to go along with this harebrained idea, all of a sudden you're driving the boat. The system of checks and balances has been significantly eroded, and suddenly now the high court is beholden to the presidency. And some might say, well, you know, depending upon who's in office, that's okay. Yeah, but remember, that changes potentially every four years. What happens when it's a guy that you don't like, that you don't trust, who now wields that kind of power? 
It would be a fundamental erosion of one of the most basic forms of preserving the wellness of our republic, even at a time when some might say we need a serious visit from the doctor. Syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek is with us today. We are talking about the release of a new Supreme Court commission report that had been initiated by President Biden, essentially trying to kind of, um, I, I suppose, float the idea. What about the idea of adding additional members to the court? Wasn't the only point that they considered. They also looked at things such as term limits or age limits. I want to talk a bit about that when we come back. Our conversation with Bob Zadek. Information, by the way, on the web about Bob's show. Check him out at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Every week he's got informative, really clever and smart guests. You'll learn a lot. They deal with the topics and issues of the day. He talks with news shakers and newsmakers, and it's uh, certainly very compelling radio. So make it a point to tune in or check the podcast out online at bobzadek.com. Let's take a time out, get you updated on some traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back in our conversation about the United States Supreme Court proposal that had been floated by President Biden here recently to look at uh, increasing the court membership, so-called court packing, not well received at multiple layers. We're discussing it with constitutional expert, CPA lawyer, and syndicated talk show host, Bob Zadek. You know, Bob, the other thing that occurs to me, we talk about um, the, the sense of pushback on these things. You know, they, they often seemingly fail to recognize that, that while this might, if, if you were able to pull it off, while it might serve you temporarily, the long-term implications of this are absolutely frightening, not least of which is that, you know, while, while I have never been there to hear or see the court in action, we certainly have, have I've certainly have listened to, to recordings of same. And I think to myself, you know, if there's that much give and take in the average case amongst nine members, how much time would be eaten up if you're trying to have 13 people, 15 people, all have their moment, all have their time of questioning? Wouldn't one of the, one of the outcomes of this, beyond just, you know, completely torpedoing the system of checks and balances, but wouldn't another outcome be just to horribly slow down the progress in the court? Hard to say. I would leave it to the chief justice and to the justices to see to it that they manage their branch of government in a way that wouldn't cause a slowdown. But who can tell that? It's hard to predict how they would organize themselves if there were 15 or more justices rather than nine. But there, you know, Craig, there is another really, or, or more than one, very interesting dynamic with the Supreme Court. And um, our listeners have, many of them, many citizens, have a very strange relationship to Supreme Court decisions. Craig, how many times have you been um, in the company of people you consider to be well-informed, um, and perhaps the discussion is something really contentious, like is was Obamacare constitutional, or even more contentious, Second Amendment 
the right to carry a gun is an individual right, or even more contentious than that, uh, Roe versus Wade. And you will have people, um, average citizens who are informed, will say in a, in a social conversation, you know, I don't agree with the Roe versus Wade decision. Everybody or many people have an opinion on whether they agree with Roe versus Wade. That conversation, if you think about it, Craig, is rather strange because what the people are saying is not that they disagree with the decision, that is, is it constitutional? Only people with extensive training in judicial affairs can have an opinion on the constitutionality, but what people are really saying is they don't agree with the result of Roe versus Wade. That everybody is entitled to an opinion, and all opinions count for the same. But to say they don't agree with the decision, are they arguing on the basis of Supreme Court precedent? I doubt it. They're arguing as if the Supreme Court is yet another legislator passing laws that voters get to agree with or not and vote people out of office if the legislation is not to their liking. So isn't it strange how many people will say, I don't agree with the decision, when they should be saying, I don't agree with the effect of it, and really what they're saying is, I don't agree with a constitution that reaches that conclusion, or I do agree. So I would just point out that a discussion on Supreme Court decisions can never be, on, or only among scholars can be, on the legal merits of the decision, but rather it can be on the effect of it, which means go to the legislature and change the laws, but don't complain so much about Supreme Court decisions. The Supreme Court uh, gets too much of the heat when all they are doing is deciding the law. Uh, and we recently have had three not Supreme Court, but lower court trial decisions. Kyle Rittenhouse, we had the decision about the, uh, the murder in... Uh, in Georgia, and people have said, I agree, the court got the right result. Even that statement, that's a technical legal conclusion. What you're really saying is, it sounds to me like these guys should be in prison, but not that they are technically guilty under the law, although I do agree with the decision on both counts, but people have a very strange, citizens have a very strange relationship to judicial decisions, whether it's at the trial level or at the Supreme Court level. Well, and I it's think certainly to, to, to the heart of your point, Bob, and that is that a lot of this, I think, emanates from a profound lack of understanding of exactly what the role of the United States Supreme Court is. We kind of look at it as sort of the final arbiter of what we agree with or disagree with and that they are going to be the knights in shining armor that ride in on the white horses to fix some apparent wrong, whatever that might be, be it a lower court decision or a vote by um, uh, uh, legis the, the uh, legislature. 
But at the end of the day, it really comes down to them analyzing law to determine whether or not it is in harmony with the spirit and the letter of the Constitution or running contrary to the same. And, and to see it as sort of this toy, which is almost to suggest what President Biden was looking at. I'm not getting the outcome I want. I'm going to make a change in the court so I can affect the outcome. Hang the notion that it should be based entirely on constitutionality or lack thereof. Um, and again, I think this goes back to a fundamental lack of understanding, and, it, and it's, it's a sad case of affairs, but here we are. Some of the other issues taken up by this commission, and I want to discuss it when we come back, it includes an interesting set of bedfellows, uh, and that is on the topic of term limits, where oddly, historically, we have seen arguments for broader sense of term limits, not necessarily related to the court, but related to Congress, um, being something that has been promoted by by conservatives. And now all of a sudden we find, well, at least on the topic of term limits as it relates in this case to the Supreme Court, that suddenly we find uh, both progressives and conservatives on the same side of the fence, although for entirely different reasons. We'll unpack that part of our discussion as our visit with Bob Zadek continues. Again, his show, Sunday mornings, The Bob Zadek Show, 8 a.m. Pacific time, heard locally on 860 a.m. The Answer. We invite you to check it out. Check out his website, too, Bob Zadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. What of the notion of term limits or age limits for the high court? We'll talk about that as our conversation with syndicated talk show host and best-selling author Bob Zadek continues right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The president called together a commission to Consider the options related to the notion of court packing, largely because he wanted to get his way. And if he didn't have a cooperative court, well, there was going to be a way around that. And uh, no doubt some angst over the fact that the previous president had not one, not two, but three picks, which I guess just means, you know, it's the luck of the draw, right? Um, While this report is largely non-pulsed in either direction when it comes to adding members of the uh, to the to the high court it, it did explore some other options um, I- including one which I think is interesting the notion of term limits now largely Bob Zadek term limits at least when it comes to um, the legislative branch have always been championed by conservatives so it's interesting now at least on this particular topic related to the high court it's progressives that are suggesting we need to have term limits term limits are a fascinating topic. When, um, when, when you had shared with me the topic you wanted to discuss tonight, I was hoping that you would allow us to speak for a few minutes about term limits. And here's why, here's an interesting sidelight uh, about term limits. I'm going to digress only for a moment to make an important point about term limits for federal judiciary in general and the Supreme Court particularly. Uh, there was recently a fascinating exercise done by the national, uh, con- by the, uh, uh, an organization, uh, in Philadelphia chartered by Congress, uh, uh, to promote the Constitution. Um, and they, uh, they've been around for quite some time. They're nonpartisan and they organized, uh, three teams. Uh, of legal constitutional law scholars, a conservative team, 
a libertarian team and a progressive team. And they invited each team, independent of the others, to revise the Constitution to more accurately reflect their own political point of view. The result was fascinating, Craig, and I commend it to the audience. The reason I'm raising it on your show right now is that both the conservative team and the progressive team both favored a constitution that had built in term limits for the judiciary. There was agreement among scholars, both progressive and conservative, about term limits. So perhaps the time has come. It was one of the few areas when there was agreement. I remember they deliberated in private. Now, the libertarian team, while it didn't advocate for constitutional change for term limits, they indicated they would support it. So they didn't quite go as far as the other two teams. In other words, there is remarkable agreement among constitutional scholars in the country today about term limits. Term limits might very well happen. And the plan would be to have the term of the justices be staggered so that each president got to a point two Supreme Court justices, so that if one died in office, the new justice would would carry out the term of the deceased justice. So it always would be the case that every president would get two justices, get to pick, to nominate, not to pick, but to nominate two justices, which means over time there would be balance, it's a, and therefore... Craig, you are spot on in raising the issue, and we might very well see that in our lifetime. It would be a fascinating change and take some of the heat off and some of the pressure off the justices and the political pressure being exerted now against Justice Breyer by the progressives, urging him to retire, hurry up and retire so that Biden gets to appoint a justice. It's a fascinating topic. And an important one because, you know, again, as you point out, there there is much political pressure brought to bear to try to force things to happen when they ought to happen, when the confirmation ought to take place. We we certainly know that uh, when it came to Merrick Garland, that was, A, we're not going to do this in the last term, the last year, rather, of the president's uh, final turn in office. And yet that, of course, got flipped on its head uh, a short four years later when it was Donald Trump uh, picking the members. And, and this creates this this level of distrust in the high court. And I think at the end of the day, that's problematic. As problematic as the notion of turning the high court is to, to settle policy disputes as opposed to constitutional questions, I think it also becomes problematic when we're, we're seeing political games being played, either by forcing pressure on a member of the high, pardon me, high court to retire early so that a seated president has a pick, or again, a little bit of this, let's hurry up when it's our guy, let's go slow when it's not. I have a question, though, related to that. In terms of any potential changes to the makeup of the high court, is that something that can be done by simple vote of the legislature, or do you think that this would 
necessitate a constitutional amendment? The Constitution is silent on the composition of the court. It does not set the number of, it does not fix the number of justices. Therefore, it can be done by statute. Now, as to the powers of the Supreme Court, different conversation, but as to the number of justices, it is not set in the Constitution. Therefore, it can be done by statute. And over time, in our history of 240-odd years of, of living under the Constitution, it has been changed, I think, about six or seven times. But it hasn't changed since... Um, 1868, I believe, was the last time, right after the Civil War. I would wonder, in your opinion, Bob, final question, if it would make more sense to couch this in terms of creating a constitutional amendment only because if it can simply be set by statute, as you point out, the Constitution on this particular subject being silent, doesn't that raise the potentiality of more game playing, meaning that, well, we make a change here, and then four years later, somebody doesn't like what they're seeing, so they want to make another change. Let's get that Congress to pass another uh, change via statute, and all of a sudden now we're back to the same um, rigging going on. Would it be, would in the end of the day, would it make more sense, in your opinion, to do this through a constitutional amendment? Reading the tea leaves, I don't. I don't think, uh, I hope and pray that I'm right, I strongly believe that I'm right, and uh, I don't think that either the Congress or the presidency, and remember, all three have to be, all three branches, both branches of Congress and the presidency have to be of the same party uh, for it to happen. I don't think anybody, any political branch would court pack for the purpose of achieving political ends because it will be the death knell of the Supreme Court because all that happens is the next time the power changes from the blue to the red or vice versa then it'll be packed again and packed and packed and packed till the Supreme Court becomes irrelevant uh, as an independent branch of government it would be, as I said in the beginning of the show, such a profound change in our system of government. Uh, I don't think anybody, anybody would ever vote to do that. Boy, from your lips to God's ears, I hope you're right on that, because were that to be the case, that would be a potential frightening outcome. Bob Sadek, syndicated talk show host, best-selling author. Again, his program heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. We invite you to tune in, check out the program, and, of course, get more information on the web. There's details about Bob's books, information about past shows, along with podcasts and more. Go to bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. God bless you. Thank you so much, Bob, for your time. 601, let's get a look at traffic. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.